another episode of political theory and um, other stuff. Mike and Paul here at it again. Done with capitalists. Hello, Paul. How are you? <laughs> good. How are good. you? <laughs> no, you're good. You're good, dude. You're good. Um, done with capitalist realism. We're excited about that. And today we're going to be switching gears, doing something uh, kind of different from what we have been doing, but we both think that it's important to do. So today we're going to be talking, we're going to be covering an article by a gentleman named uh, Nathan Robinson, and he's at Current Affairs. Uh, his article is from two years ago, but I, I still think it's important, from March 14th of 2018, and it's called The Intellectual We Deserve. And the article is about Jordan Peterson. Now, the reason why I wanted to cover this, because normally we try to focus on, you know, further radicalization of ourselves and our listeners and further understanding of leftist political theory. And this is going to be more of breaking down a pop intellectual of the right. And the reason why I think this is important is because I personally found myself uh, in 2016, I want to say, uh, I came across this, this man's work and I found it interesting. Not Nathan Robinson, but Jordan Peterson. I spent uh, maybe a year uh, taking in his, his work and also disseminating it, handing it out to friends and family saying, hey, this is interesting. You should check this out, blah, blah, blah. And I lucked out because I heard him say some stuff that I knew wasn't true about stuff that I had been forced to study at community college. If I hadn't have had that opportunity, I might be still sucked into him today. And that to me is uh, terrifying that um, a man that, as you'll see through us reading this, is, uh, is promoting some very questionable uh, and dubious ideas can draw in, um, you know, the most well-meaning and even somewhat intelligent individuals. And that's why we're reading an article about him and talking about him. Uh, and, and that's why I would put him in a different category from, say, someone like um, Steven Crowder or even um, someone like, well, yeah, or even someone like Ben Shapiro. I feel like Peterson has done a great job putting himself in a certain area to seem somewhat, quote, uh, apolitical or like he's transcended politics. And so it just it sucked me in. That concerns me, and I felt like it would be important, or I feel like it is worthwhile covering covering his work. Uh, Paul, did you want to add anything about your experience with Peterson or your yeah. ideas on it? Yeah, we had kind of a similar intro. The first times I encountered Peterson, I was not anti-Peterson. Uh, he kind of like reels you in with, for terms I would call nowadays, but maybe not back then, kind of that like subtle alt-rightish, like this is how life should be sort of stuff. You know, things that kind of make sense if you're young and impressionable and trying to find a footing uh, about how you want to build your life on sort of stuff. Um, and that's kind of what drew me in a little bit at first. And then, to be honest, I just kind of forgot about him for a while uh, until some people that I was fairly close with um, reintroduced him to me. Uh, and it was their introduction of him that I was like, oh, my God, I probably shouldn't trust this kind of stuff. And uh, unfortunately it was Peterson's line of thought that turned them in slowly and slowly uh, much, much more conservative. And so 
that's why I'm really wary of him is that his, he pretends that his rhetoric is apolitical. Um, but I have never met somebody that had their political views moved to the left after encountering Jordan Peterson. The thing that I dislike about him the most, I think, he often speaks on things that are far beyond his doctorate. Uh, and I feel like that intellectual backing allows his fans to do things like, well, you just don't understand it. This is on another level. He's just so smart that it's beyond you. Uh, and I feel like it's the opposite. And I, I won't go too much further because I feel like this article describes um, kind of the grift that he has going on much better than I could, certainly. Yeah, um, and yeah, he just needs to be talked about, from my opinion, because I have literally known people that I uh, think have become worse people after getting into Jordan Peterson. Um, yeah, and I personally will say I don't think it's a grift. I do think that he <laughs> sincerely believes this stuff. You can find videos on, on YouTube from him like literally 25 years ago, basically saying the same stuff. And he tells stories, I think, in his first book, Maps of Meaning, um, you know, from late, like, or maybe around his master's where he, you know, fell out from the left or whatever and, and had this right. quote unquote awakening. So I do believe that he, he is sincerely invested in this stuff, but that doesn't make it uh, less harmful, you know. I almost, and I guess I almost feel like he's grifting himself. Because like as this article points out, he really does feel like he's divining some sort of uh, universal truth that nobody else can see. Yep. And uh, maybe I just don't understand it. Maybe I really don't. Uh, but from what I could tell, it is just kind of old school common sense mixed with a bunch of vague, large words. So we'll do the article. We'll, we'll um, obviously what we are, uh, our feelings are on Peterson. Like I said, the article is called uh, The Intellectual We Deserve. It's by Nathan Robinson. The subtitle is um, Jordan Peterson's popularity is the sign of a deeply impoverished political and intellectual landscape. Paul, do you want to start it off? All right. Uh if you want to appear very profound and convince people to take you seriously, but have nothing of value to say, there is a tried and tested method. First, take some extremely obvious platitude or truism. Make sure it actually does contain some insight, though it can be rather vague. Something like, if you're too conciliatory, you will sometimes get taken advantage of, or many moral values are similar across human societies. Then, Try to restate your platitude using as many words as possible, as unintelligibly as possible, while never repeating yourself exactly. Use a highly technical language drawn from many different academic disciplines so that no one person will ever have adequate training to fully evaluate your work. Construct elaborate theories with many parts. Draw diagrams. Use italics liberally to indicate that you are using words in a highly specific and idiosyncratic sense. <laughs> Never say anything too specific, and if you do, qualify it heavily so that you can always insist you meant the opposite. Then evangelize. Speak as confidently as possible, as if you are sharing God's own truth. Accept no criticisms. Insist that any skeptic has either misinterpreted you or has actually already admitted that you are correct. Talk as much as possible and listen as little as possible. Follow these steps and your success will be assured. Parentheses, it does help if you are male and Caucasian. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jordan Peterson appears very profound and has convinced many people to take him seriously. Yet he has almost nothing of value to say. 
This should be obvious to anyone who has spent even a few moments critically examining his writings and speeches, which are comically befuddled, pompous, and ignorant. They are half nonsense, half banality. In a reasonable world, Peterson would be seen as the kind of tedious crackpot that one hopes not to get seated next to on a train. <laughs> I wish I could write this well. Uh, but we do not live in a reasonable world. In fact, Peterson's reach is astounding. His 12 Rules for Life is the number one most read book on Amazon, where it has a perfect five-star rating. That's one of the most depressing sentences I've ever read in my entire life. <laughs> um, one person said that when he came across a physical copy of Peterson's first book, I wanted to hold it in my hands and contemplate its significance for a few minutes as if it was one of Shakespeare's pens or a Gutenberg Bible. The world's leading newspapers have declared him one of the most important living thinkers. The Times says his message is overwhelmingly vital and a Guardian columnist grudgingly admits that Peterson deserves to be taken seriously. David Brooks thinks Peterson might be the most influential public intellectual in the Western world right now. He has been called the deepest, clearest voice of conservative thought in the world today. A man whose work should make him famous for the ages. Malcolm Gladwell calls him a wonderful psychologist, and it's not just members of the popular press that have conceded Peterson's importance. The chair of the Harvard Psychology Department praised his magnum opus, Maps of Meaning, as brilliant and beautiful. Zachary Slayback of the Foundation for Economic Education wonders how any serious person could possibly write off Peterson, saying that even the most anti-Peterson intellectual should be able to admit that his project is a net good. We are therefore presented with a puzzle. If Jordan Peterson has nothing to say, how has he attracted this much recognition? If it is so obvious that he can be written off as a charlatan, why do so many people respect his intellect? And obviously this, this is something that Nathan Robinson is going to touch on, so I don't need to speak too much on it, but the whole, uh, his book being uh, uh, a number one most read book on Amazon and uh, with the perfect five-star rating and the person like really contemplating it. I have come across so many people on the internet. It's, a, it's like a picture of Peterson's book or one of his books, and they're like, this is the first book I've bought in five years, or this yeah. is the first book I've read in 10 years. This or saved my life. But the, the thing about the, the whole, like, um, this is the first book in so many years, that ties into the whole, um, the whole uh, what is it, an impoverished political and intellectual landscape. Or maybe not an impoverished political and intellectual landscape, but if you're not, if you haven't read a book in five years, let alone a book that's supposed to be covering the, the topics that Peterson's covering, it's right. going to be really easy for you to, to find anyone's work impressive because you haven't been exposed. It's like if you've never seen a movie, the first movie you watch is going to blow you the fuck away. Yeah. You know, and it's like if you've never yeah. read a book on politics because, or philosophy or anything, it's going right. to blow you away. And especially because you know? the book you bought five years ago was The Da Vinci Code. Right. Uh, That's the other know, thing too. Um, yep. Yeah. Even if they, if they bought a book five years ago, who knows what that book's on, you know, like, yep. like it doesn't. So, and it's, he just gets on one of my, or his supporters. And I, it's hard to blame somebody for their supporters. It's hard not to, I don't know which way I fall on that most of the time. The conservative subversion of everything that I like 
that gets to me. You know, it's like, dude, I respect academics. I respect intellectuals. I respect philosophers. And then somebody like Jordan Peterson comes around uh, and they get to use him in a way. Fuck, what am I trying to say? They get to like, they basically get to refute hundreds of years, thousands of years of thinking and shit because of stuff they read in a Peterson book. Like, well, if Mm -hmm. you wanted to talk academics, I'm talking Jordan Peterson. And it's like, okay. And unfortunately, Peterson does reference a lot of other, you know, people in his works. And so they get to act like they have a comfortable knowledge with them as well. And so it's that like subversion of being intellectual and then using it as a weapon on their side that is just so frustrating to me. I don't know if that makes sense or not. but Yeah, that does. That definitely does. So back to Robinson. Uh, Before we address the mystery of Peterson's popularity, we need to examine his work. After all, if the work is actually brilliant and insightful, there is no mystery. He is recognized as a profound thinker because he's a profound thinker. And many critics of Peterson have been deeply unfair to his work, mocking it without reading it or uh, slinging projectiles at him, e.g., in uh, parentheses, the stupid man's smart person or a messiah come surrogate dad for gormless dimwits? What is that one word? Uh, The G word. What's gormless? gormless? Yeah. I'm not sure, but just the way it sounds is enjoyable. (laughs) I want to know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking. Chiefly British in origin, uh, lacking intelligence or vitality, stupid or dull. And it's pronounced gormless? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you're gorm, you have just crazy brilliance and vitality then. Yeah. Like Nathan Robinson has is, kind is of gorm. gorm <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Fuck yeah. Super gorm, dude. Super dude, gorm. You are gorming out right now. <laughs> this, okay. Um, all right. Uh, slinging projectiles at him. This has irritated Peterson's fans. And when articles critical of him are printed, uh, the comments section are full of people, usually correctly, accusing the writer of failing to take Peterson seriously. An infamous Channel 4 interview with Kathy Newman, in which Newman repeatedly puts words in Peterson's mouth, so you're saying X, in quotations, confirmed uh, the impression that progressives are trying to smear Peterson by accusing him of holding beliefs that he does not hold. Connor Friedersdorf of the Atlantic said Peterson is the victim of hyperbolic misrepresentation and encouraged people to examine what he is actually saying. Before I go on, just this Kathy Newman interview is brutal, dude. Yeah. Uh, uh, it is so embarrassing for Kathy Newman. I just, and maybe it wasn't her fault. Maybe she didn't properly prepare or maybe she wasn't told to, to properly prepare or whatever, but just so embarrassing. Peterson yeah, and- looks so good in that, that interview. It's just one of those things that I think needs to be taken a lot more seriously. Like if you want somebody on your show to disagree with them, Uh, you do have to take them seriously. I think the second that you are writing somebody off, then why are you even bothering to disagree with them? And this, I feel, is something that has really, really boosted conservative morale in the last bit, is them just trying to paint, being able to, with examples like this Kathy Newman interview, uh, being able to paint, you know, the quote unquote left, because let's face it, Kathy Newman's not super far left, but being able to just paint these people has 
cramming ideology down your throat and misrepresenting your beliefs. So you can say, I'm not racist. You just don't understand my beliefs sort of stuff. Well, I'm not saying that that is the case at all. These interviews are the fuel for that sort of fire. And it's, it's just frustrating. Yeah, totally. But having examined Peterson's work closely, I think the misinterpretation of Peterson is only partially a result of leftist leftists reading him through an ideological prism. A more important reason why Peterson is mis, misinterpreted is that he is consistently vague and vacillating, that it's impossible to tell what he is actually saying. People have such angry art angry arguments about Peterson, seeing him as everything from a fascist apologist to an enlightened liberal uh, because his vacuous words are a kind of Rorschach test onto which countless interpretations can be projected. And that, as I'm reading that, that reminds me of what we were talking about with the bullshit wall and Trump and how he's (laughs) able to say stuff in a way that you can like plug in whatever you want to plug in there. Yeah. And, um, and Peterson in at times does it, but just in a much more refined and, um, and uh, yeah, in a much more refined and academic yes. seeming uh, manner, you know? And it's, it's just to me also a bizarre facet of humanity where like vague works can attract so much fandom. I guess it's not that weird when you can put your own meaning to whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, you can enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of because because when you're reading it, it, it it doesn't it doesn't feel vague. It feels like um very precise because you're right. plugging your meaning into it. You're just like, oh, he's saying this, and it's obvious that he's saying. And this. if it's vague and it's something that makes you uncomfortable, you can just like re-switch it to something that makes you comfortable. Be like, well, right. I am uncomfortable, but now that I've thought about it, that can't be what he could possibly mean. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, which. And, and if they do a good, good enough job at it, you're, you're never even going to have that moment of uncomfortability because it's so vague that it lets That's you plug true. in your ideas before you have to worry about it, you know? Yeah. This is immediately apparent upon opening Peterson's 1999 book, Maps of Meaning, a 600-page summary of his basic theories that took Peterson 15 years to complete. Maps of Meaning is, to the extent it can be summarized, about how humans generate meaning, in quotes. By generating meaning, Peterson ostensibly intends something like figure out how to act, but the word's definition is somewhat capacious. Capacious, yes. What does capacious mean? Uh, It's like having, it's like roomy, I think. Like that's a capacious space. I don't know, man. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. That is what it means, if I spelled it right. Yeah. Well, then how does that work there? But the word's definition is somewhat capacious. Like roomy has a lot of things you could fit into it. Okay. Yeah. Like it could fit like maybe 10 definitions or something is maybe what he's implying. Okay. Okay. So, um, but the word's definition is somewhat capacious, colon. Uh, and then some bullet points. Um, Meaning is is manifestation of the divine individual adaptive path wait meaning is manifestation of the divine individual adaptive path bullet two meaning is the ultimate balance between the chaos of transformation and the possibility and the discipline of pristine order uh bullet three meaning and these are all 
quotes. So I assume these are all from Maps of Meaning. Meaning is an expression of the instinct that guides us out into the unknown so that we can conquer it. Uh, meaning is when everything there is comes together in the ecstatic dance of single purpose. Meaning means implication. Is that implication? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Implication yeah. for behavioral output. Meaning emerges from the interplay between the possibilities of the world and the value structure operating within the world. All right, dude. I'm probably going to regret this, but probably not. If we ever are able to live off of our Patreon subscriptions, I commit to getting one of these tattooed on my body. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just so absurd, dude. So absurd. Okay. Peterson's answer is, the, uh, is that people figure out how to act by turning to a common set of stories, which contain archetypes in quotations that have developed over the course of our species evolution. He believes that, uh, that by studying myths, myths, we can see values and frameworks shared across cultures and can therefore understand the structures that guide us. But here I am already giving Peterson's work a more coherent summary that it actually deserves. And after all, if many if many human stories have common moral lessons, was his point, he would have been saying something so obvious that nobody would think to credit it as a novel insight. Peterson manages to spin it out over hundreds of pages and expand it into an elaborate, unprovable, unfalsifiable, unintelligible theory that encompasses everything from the direction of history to the meaning of life to the nature of knowledge, to the structure of human decision-making, to the foundations of ethics. In uh, parentheses, a good principle to remember is that if a book appears to be about everything, it's probably not really about anything. Uh, end of parentheses. And that's a uh, parentheses sentence. Yeah. That's a parentheses sentence. So uh, very second dude we've read. Fisher is very influential. Yeah, yeah. A randomly selected passage will uh, convey the flavor of this thing. Do you want to read I, this passage? I, yeah, sure. And the other thing is like, yeah, he is just like that example. Everything he does is like the Dunning-Kruger effect of that thing where like the less you know about something, the more you think you've mastered it. Uh, so he just like spreads himself so thin uh, I think that he refuses to learn enough about anything to realize that he has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, the Dunning-Kruger just terrifies me every day of my life. Okay. Procedural knowledge generated in the course of heroic behavior is not organized and integrated within the group, and the individual has a consequence of simple accumulation. Procedure, quotes, A, unquote, appropriate in situation one, and procedure B, appropriate in situation two may clash in mutual violent opposition in situation three. Under such circumstances, intrapsychic or intra interpersonal conflict necessarily emerges. When such antagonism arises, moral revaluation becomes necessary. As a consequence of such revaluation, behavioral options are brutally rank-ordered, or, less frequently, entire moral systems are devastated, reorganized, and replaced. This organization and reorganization occurs as a consequence of war and its concrete, abstract, intrapsychic, and interpersonal variants. 
In the most basic case, an individual is rendered subject to an intolerable conflict as a consequence of the perceived, parentheses, effective incompatibility of two or more apprehended outcomes of a given behavioral procedure. In the purely intrapsychic sphere, such conflict often emerges when attainment of what is desired presently necessarily interferes with attainment of what is desired. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, or avoidance of what is feared in the future. Permanent satisfactory revolution of such conflict between temptation and moral purity, for example, requires the construction of an abstract moral system, powerful enough to allow what an occurrence signifies for the future to govern reaction to what it signifies now. Even that construction, however, is necessarily incomplete when considered only as intrapsychic phenomena. The individual, once capable of coherently integrating competing motivational demands in the private sphere, nonetheless remains destined for conflict with the other. In the course of the inevitable transformations of personal experience, this means that the person who has come to terms with him or herself, at least in principle, is still subject to the effective dysregulation. I've never seen that word spelled like that, so I might not know what it means. Inevitably produced by interpersonal interaction. It is also the case that such subjugation is actually indicative of insufficient intrapsychic organization as many basic needs can only be satisfied through the cooperation of others. So, um, Dude, I think we fucked up with this podcast, man. What do you mean? I don't know if leftist thinking is right. After <laughs> I read that, I just... Uh, I don't know what I think anymore, man. <laughs> right. No, I know. And I think that this sort of stuff is very for people like myself who like um who struggle with reading and you know struggle with with learning this sort of stuff can be very impactful because i'm reading it and i'm thinking you know this seems really stupid and it doesn't make sense but then there's that part of me that's like yeah but there's a lot of things that don't make sense to me that end up being really smart so you need to um you need to respect this because if you don't understand it that means that it's above you rather than that right. means that it's and nonsensical i would say if you don't understand it it's probably because of your own intrapsychic and interpersonal right. variant conflicts right um yeah. yeah which is not jordan peterson's fault i would just right. like to put that up <laughs> yeah yeah i uh could you imagine at full Full transparency. I have read excerpts of Jordan Peterson, but I have never read an entire Jordan Peterson anything book. Yep. book. And it is because this is actually that man's writing style. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And obviously, um, 10 Rules for Life or whatever isn't as esoteric, but it's right. still. No. Yeah. Well, that one I stopped because I don't need like a self help book. Self help book. Right. Yep. Yep. So, so um, I'll read this little blurb. And then if you don't mind reading the, reading other, the other passage. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, what's important about this kind of writing is that it can easily appear to contain useful ins uh, insight because it says many things that are either, that either are true or feel kind of true and does so in a way that makes the reader feel stupid for not really understanding. 
many of the book's reviews on Amazon contain sentiments like, I am not sure I understood it, but it's absolutely brilliant. It's not that it's empty of content. In fact, it's precisely because some of it does ring true that it is able to convince readers of its importance. It's certainly right that, that some procedures yep. work in one situation, but not another. It's right that good moral systems have to be able to, good moral systems have to be able to think about the future in figuring out what to do, uh, what to do in the present. What did I get wrong there? That doesn't sound Nothing. right. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's right that good moral systems have to be able to think about the future and figuring out what to do in the present. Okay. But much of the rest is language so abstract that it cannot be proved or disproved. The old expression, what's new in it isn't true, and what's true isn't new, applies here. That's, that's a cool saying. I hadn't yeah. heard that before. Another passage in which Peterson gives his theory of law. All right, I'm excited. Law is a necessary precondition to salvation, so to speak, necessary, but insufficient. Law provides the borders that limit chaos and allows for the protected maturation of the individual. Law disciplines possibility and allows the disciplined individual to bring his or her potentialities, those intra-psychic spirits, <laughs> under voluntary control. The law allows for the application of such potentiality to the task of creative and courageous existence, allows spiritual water controlled flow into the valley of the shadow of death. Law held as an absolute, however, puts man in the position of the eternal adolescent, dependent upon the father for every vital decision, removes the responsibility for action from the individual, and therefore prevents him or her from discovering the potential grandeur of the soul. Life without law remains chaotic, effectively intolerable. Life that is pure law becomes sterile, equally unbearable. The domination of chaos or sterility equally breeds murderous resentment or hatred. Okay. <laughs> Again, it's not, it's not that he's wrong when he I just, says... My whole thing is, you could have said that whole thing is that like law works best if moderated effectively. Like That's right. the whole thing he was fucking saying. But right. also, the bullshit that law disciplines possibility, get the fuck out of here. I guess the possibility of doing shitty stuff. Like, right. That's law isn't like, it's not whatever. Sorry. That no. one is so ridiculous, but okay. Continue. Uh, again, that's why I'm a libertarian. <laughs> uh, again, it's not that he's wrong when he says that law has a disciplinary disciplining, disciplining function or that too much law is stifling while not enough is anarchy, but all this stuff about, interpsychic spirits and the flow of spiritual water it is just said never clearly explained let alone proved if you ask him to explain it you would just get a long string of additional abstract terms like ironically leader right yeah totally ironically maps of meaning contains neither maps nor meaning <laughs> uh um and there's another, uh, uh, oh, no, that's not true. Anyhow, psychologist C. Wright Mills. Sociologist. Or sociologist sorry. C. Wright Mills. In, I feel like I know that name from something, but anyhow. Uh, C. Wright Mills in 
critically ex examining grand theorists in his field who used uh, verbos verbosity to cover for a lack of profound profundity, 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 pointed out that people respond positively to this kind of writing because they see it, uh, they see it as a wondrous maze of fascinating, fascinating precisely. Is that fascinating? Mm -hmm. Okay, fascinating precisely because of its often splendid lack of intelligibility intelligibility but Mills said such writers are so rigidly confined to such levels of abstraction that the type typologies they make up and the work they do to make them up uh, seem more often an arid game of concepts than an effort to define systematically which is to say, in a clear and orderly way, the problems at hand, and to guide our efforts to solve them. Um, okay. Obscuritism is more than a desperate attempt to feign novelty, though. It's also a tactic for, for badgering readers into difference to the, the writer's authority. Nobody can be sure they are comprehending the author's meaning which has the effect of making the reader feel deeply inferior and in awe of the writer's towering knowledge, knowledge that must exist on a level so much higher than that of ordinary mortals that we are incapable of even beginning to appreciate it. In fact, Peterson is quite open in insisting that he has achieved revelations beyond the comprehension of nor ordinary persons. The book, the book's epigraph. What's an epigraph? I think like the, uh, like a preface. It's an inscription. God damn it! It's the phrase or quotation that's set at like the beginning of the book. So like in the first page, if somebody like quotes somebody else, okay, uh, and then the book begins. That's uh, an epigraph. Okay. So uh, this the, upcoming epigraph is a pretty ballin' one. <laughs> okay. The book's epigraph is comically grandiose. It says in parentheses, um, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Whoa. Matthew 13.35. And Peterson even includes in the book a letter to his father in which he tries to convey the gravity of his discovery. I don't know, Dad. But I think I've, I've discovered something that no one else has any idea about. And I'm not sure I can do it justice. Its scope is so broad that I can see only parts of it clearly at one time. And it is ex exceedingly difficult to set down comprehensively, uh, comprehensively in writing. Anyways, I'm glad you and mom are doing well. Thank you for doing my income tax returns. <laughs> well, it's kind of a self-aware wolf situation because at least he super understands that the scope is too broad, can't see parts of it clearly, and he has no idea how to put it comprehensively in writing. <laughs> it's, I don't understand uh, why figureheads on the right have, why their supporters love to attribute some like crazy unknown intelligence to them while also hating any academic that's ever existed. 
Uh, like when people talk about Trump, it is always with this presupposition that no mere mortal could ever understand the plans that this man has going on currently. Uh, and that there will be a day where like his like grand his like, what do you call those machines that um, Goldberg, Rune Goldberg machines? Mm -hmm. Not, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the real name. That sounds more like a wrestler. But anyway, uh, it's like he has like this huge elaborate Rune Goldberg machine. Maybe that's what it's called. Uh, and at like, the end of his presidency, the fucking marble will finally hit the pan or whatever, and I'll just fully understand the grand scheme of greatness that this man has been doing behind the scenes. And I, they do that for a lot of people, where it's like, dude, you would get it if you were on his intelligence level. And I just have never seen any evidence of that intelligence level. So maybe I'm dumb. Totally. I feel like this is a good place to wrap up today's yeah. session. Um, next episode, we will um, continue with this Nathan Robinson mm -hmm. article on Jordan Peterson. We've got some life-changing diagrams coming up for you in the future. Yeah. Uh, some really hard-hitting stuff. It's going to be incredible. Uh, we hope you all in enjoyed uh, this episode, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. Have a great day.